find uh, your Bible, paper, digital, whatever, uh, and make your way over to Psalm 6 this morning. You can get to the Psalm, just open right to the middle of your Bible, and you'll be uh, in the Psalms, and then you just poke around so you get to Psalm 6. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> in the Bible's notes, as you're getting there, you're going to see there's some little notes at the beginning. Uh, they're not what we'd consider really the uh, inspired aspect of this, but they are notes from history early on. Uh, some of them very, very early on. And one of the things you're going to see here is that this was written by King David. It tells us who the author is. Other thing we, we learn here is that this particular psalm is a shimoneth. How many of you know what that means? Yeah, I wouldn't think many because no one actually knows what it means with any certainty. There's a few different theories. Uh, the, the best bet is that it's a tune that was, this was to be played to, to be sung to. Uh, kind of like uh, if you ever you know, look in our hymnals, the you'll see like this is to be sung to the old hundredth tune, uh, things of that nature. Our doxology at the end of the service is actually sung to that. Uh, anyway, if, if, if that's the case, we sadly no longer know what the tune is. We, it's lost to time, but that's okay. Uh, we still have the word that God has given us here. So then uh, as we get into this, I do want to ask you, if you just had to think about psalms, what, what would you say most psalms are about? If someone just said, so what are the psalms? Tell me, like, what are they about? Uh, what do you think? You're whispering to someone next to you, you have an idea in your head. And, and I, I ask this because it might surprise you, or at least some of you, to know that most psalms are, they're not about praise to God. They're not about thanks to God. A lot of them are, but most of them aren't. Most are actually laments. Laments. And a lament is just a, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow to the Lord. That's, that's what most are. And I, I think the more you think about the reality of that, the, the more why that is, why most are laments begins to probably make sense to you because you know what life is like uh, living in a sinful and fallen world. You experience that day in and the day out. And you know that, you know, most often our prayers arise from pain and anxiety and grief and and, and, you know, we pray for, for healing, we pray for victory and rescue, we pray for our needs to be met, and, and we do this far more than we probably pray just the simple praise to the Lord. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it's not a bad thing. All of those things are good things for us to include in our prayer. Uh, John Piper is speaking on the, the different types of the Psalms, and he's just dealing with three different types here, but he says this, he says, the glory of psalms of praise is that God deserves our praise at all times, regardless of our circumstances, whether all feels right in our little worlds or not. And then he says, the glory of psalms of thanks is that God our Savior has acted on our behalf. And then he says, the glory of laments is that despite our pain and difficulty and struggle and doubts, we still turn Godward. Our faith is being tested, and in the very act of turning to our Lord, rather than elsewhere, there is hope. And lament is often where we find God to be our greatest treasure. So Psalm 6 is a lament of King David. And as I read this aloud, I want you to follow along, and I want you to also take notice of just David's boldness with the Lord. The boldness to just pour out his heart to pray to the Lord, everything on his mind, a boldness that, uh, unfortunately, I think few Christians today pray with this sort of boldness, and I, I want this to encourage us towards that. Uh, so anyway, beginning in verse 1, uh, Psalm chapter 6. O Lord, 
Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Psalms, for the truth they teach, the raw honesty and humanity that they they put to word, the the hope they give, and the blessed Savior they point to. This morning we ask that you would bring light to our understanding of your precious word. It's in the name of Jesus our Savior we pray. Amen. Now before we get into the text, uh, I I want you to learn here that there is a place for singing even when suffering, even when in pain, even when filled with grief, when frustrated, when sorrowful, when, when you don't even like have that sense of I want to sing out, there is, there is a reason for singing, there is a purpose for it that God has for us. And I, I want you to see that and I want you to know that because modern worship music is overwhelmingly celebration music. That, that's what it is. The, the genre is even called praise and worship, right? You never hear it. It's never, oh, this is praise and worship and lament music. It's, it's, that's just been tossed out, and, and that's kind of what it is. And, and, and that's easy to point the finger at just, you know, Christian subculture, general evangelicalism, but it's not just with general evangelicalism. We also do not lament well, and we must learn to lament both corporately and individually, David here in this psalm models for us individual lamenting. That's what this psalm is. And, and so he begins, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Now why in the world would David believe that God would be angry at him? And I ask that question because it's not explicit in, in this psalm. But the answer, of course, is that David has done something sinful. David has done something deserving of God's anger and discipline uh, in the words he uses there. What exactly David has done, we don't know in this case. Psalm 51, we know that's all about Bathsheba. We don't know the specifics of here. We don't know, and that's okay. Now, this does not mean that all suffering that you experience is a result of some particular sin. It, it's not like the local laws of our government, right, that have these set fines for every violation, violation you might do. You can get a list of them online, in fact, right? You might not know this. You run a red light in town, it's going to cost you $173. That's the cause and effect situation. If you're drag racing, $198. Assuming you're not speeding, and you probably are speeding, 
uh, you'd get that ticket too, I assume. My, my point here, though, is that the next time you have the flu, it does not mean that, that this is certainly divine discipline. It doesn't mean I have to figure out exactly what, what sin have I committed that correlates to the flu, and now I have that. It, it's not because you, you know, slandered your boss's reputation. You shouldn't slander your boss's reputation, but don't assume it's all tied one for one. Uh, we know that some suffering is simply for our spiritual progress. You think of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Uh, it says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Right? That's suffering in that way. That's not tied to sin. And, and still, Hebrews 12 speaks of God disciplining us as a father disciplines his own children, right? And that's where you see it tied to it. And so, you, you know, maybe... Maybe some of your suffering, some of our suffering, is because of sin. And maybe that statement right there all alone is the most shocking thing for you. It can be shocking to our modern minds, our, our, you know, our materialistic thinking that has just crept into our biblical worldview. The idea that that would have anything to do with anything can just shock us. And I, I know that's not real helpful if you're trying to pinpoint why am I suffering. I, I, I won't even begin to say this is giving you an explanation for that, right? Uh, it doesn't help you, but that's okay because if, if you have sinned, if we have sinned, that needs to be repented of. And we need to repent whether, whether it's causing us to suffer in some way or not, right? And if we are suffering... Uh, we need the strength and deliverance from God, so either way, we need to seek the Lord. It doesn't change the way we actually respond to these things, but it does, is something to keep in mind, to analyze, to think about your life at times. Don't jump to assumptions, but do think about it. And, and so then, do you see in verse 2 here that, that David is asking God to be gracious to him? You see, gracious is God's nature. Listen to what God has to say about himself in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and it goes on. But it's in his nature to be gracious. And so ask God, he asked God to be gracious to him and, and to do so by healing him, but but what exactly does David need to be healed of? And, and again, right, uh, we don't know for sure, but when you see phrases like, my, my bones are troubled, that's common imagery in the Scripture, the idea of our bones, right? It's common imagery, meaning our physical health. There is something physical going on with David. But specifically what it is, we don't know. And, and part of the reason for that, the reason that, that someone like David would actually keep this out is because this is for corporate worship. Even as it's an individual lament, it's for corporate worship, and he wants it to be apply, applicable to any situation or other situations. Uh, but we, we do know for sure here, right? We don't know that for sure. We do know for sure is that you and I, we sin. And sometimes even true Christians sin spectacularly. You ever been just shocked by your own sin? Did I really just say that out loud? Did I really just slander that person? Did I really just assume the most ungracious thing about that person possible? Did, did I really just lust in that way? Did I really just bitterly seek revenge against him? Did I really just lie straight-faced 
like it was nothing? Did I really just do that? What do you do when you're shocked by your own sin? Do, do we wallow in it? Woe is me. I'm so terrible. I'm the worst person ever. Is, is that where you go with that? Do we dismiss our sin, excusing it? I'm just, I'm just so tired and stressed. That's why that came out of my heart and my mouth. Or I'm just, I'm just going through some stuff right now. That's, that's all it is. That's not really who I am. See, we can learn something from David here. David, if you know his story, you know he has sinned in some absolutely horrendous ways. We, we like him from a, you know, the distance of a couple thousand years, but you probably would struggle to like David if he was in your life when you see some of the things he's done. But, but what's he do when the weight of his sin just comes crashing down on him? And, and what we see him do is he goes to the Lord, he takes it to the Lord, he takes all his grief and his regrets and his sorrow and he just takes it to the Lord and, and he pleads for mercy and he describes what, what God being gracious to him would actually look like, right? He, he says namely healing. The healing. That, that's what he's asking for primary. He's going to ask about something for his enemies later, but primarily about healing. And so while verse 2 then is about his, his physical sickness and, and desire to be healed from that, verse 3 is about the deeper emotional consequence of his sin. Look at it. It says, My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Do you get the sense that, that David's been going through this struggle, this, this pain emotionally, physically, for a crazy long time, and his great fear is that this might go on forever? That's where he's at. Some of you have carried grief for sin or the weight of physical suffering, physically, uh, emotionally, for just so long. And do you know that you can speak to your Heavenly Father about that? Do you know that you can pray with this sort of just raw vulnerability to the Lord, to, to your Lord? You can do that? Lord, how long... Will I feel this way? Lord, how long will this pain continue, this medical condition that I just want answers for and solutions for? How, how long will infertility continue? How, how long until this depression lifts and I can feel joy again? You can be real and, and honest with God in your prayers and still honor Him. And the laments and the psalms are absolute examples of this. And so then, do you see that word in verse 4, turn? There's a little nuance here, uh, because the Hebrew literally means to turn back, right? Reverse directions. Uh, and, and I point that out because David has felt the closeness of God in his life. He's, he's known that, and right now, he, he just feels God has turned away from them. He's experiencing it in real ways. And he's asking God to once again, will you just turn your face back to me? Would you do that? And he wants not just relief from suffering. This is the thing I love about David because we tend to get so tied up. I, I just want relief from whatever the issue is. But, but you see here that David wants God himself. Not, not just what you can do, God, but you. You ever felt like your relationship with God has, has grown distant? <clears throat> it, it might just be your feelings. And we tell you over and over again, don't, don't trust your feelings. That might be all it is. But do consider your life. Is, is there some habitual 
or unconfessed sin that is just dulling your love for God? Just dulling it. Are there things that you need to repent of? Things you need to just remove of your life because you, you know they're just driving this, this wedge, right? Idols of the heart, habitual pornography, substance abuse, general bitterness or discontentment. I, I don't know what your situation is, but, but you do. I'm not saying either that God loves you any less in this moment, right, or in these moments. He, he loves you dearly. He loves you to the cross, but, but maybe sin is driving a, a wedge relationally there. And so then notice in verse 4, as David is giving a reason for, for why God would heal him, David's not saying, he's not saying, listen, I will give so much money to the temple. I, I will do all these good deeds. He, he's not saying, it's me, God, it's David. You, you know all the amazing things I have done for you. Check out my resume. Like, there's nothing like that. Instead, he says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He's saying, God, you are merciful. You are steadfast. You're not fickle. And listen, David's not reminding this to God as, as though he's worried, you know, God's forgot this about himself. Like, oh, I forget. I'm steadfast. Thanks, David, for reminding me. It, it's not a situation like that. It's not at all. It's, you know, what's happening here is that as David prays this, he's, he's remembering who God is himself. It's building his confidence in God confidence that we're going to see in verse 8 really just, just turns into this boldness, right? But, but for now, uh, I want you to look again, or look real quick back to verse 4, right? That phrase, steadfast love in verse 4, and, and you know this one because it's all over the Psalms. It's all over the Psalms. You that like to count things, math people, whatever, uh, 123 times this word, right? This, the steadfast love of the Lord, right? is there. And it comes from this Hebrew word hesed. Uh, hesed means God's devotion. It's his binding of himself to his people, his covenant people because of his covenant. It, it's this unfading love. Get that in your mind. This unfading love that's just best understood as, as loyalty. A loyal love based on his own covenant where he promises to, to be our God. And so David reflects on who God is. He reflects on the promise that God has made. And then in verse 5, David makes this appeal to the glory of God. But before we look at that aspect of it, first I want you to see that uh, David mentions this word sheol, right? It's not one we go around using very often. It sounds like a cuss word of some sort. That's not what it is. Uh, it's an untranslated Hebrew word, meaning it's like in Hebrew it's sheol too. Uh, and, it, and it means two things, right, based on the context. Either in one sense it means this is where wicked people go when they die, in the same way that we use the word hell. Uh, and, and it can also just mean this is when people die, right? It's just generally death, the way that we just use the word grave. Uh, here it's the general sense such that uh, death and Sheol, they're just equivalents. You can interchange them here and you'd get to the same meaning here. Uh, and, and thus David's stating, stating this, he's saying, God, if I'm dead, I, I will no longer be thinking of your greatness and I won't be able to sing your praises to others. That, that's what happens if, I, if I'm not delivered in, in the way I'm asking, Lord. And, and listen, this is not a threat. Don't hear a threat. I know our minds go there because that's where our, that's where our minds go. It, it's not like, uh, like the, the athlete saying something like, Coach, if you take me out of the game, who's going to score? Not Jimmy. We both know Jimmy's not going to score. You can't take me out. It's, it's nothing like that. It's not a threat. It's, it's something that is important to David. 
David loves to worship God, and he also knows that God loves for David to worship God. And if David's um, super dead, he won't be able to worship. It won't be an option. And, and so he's saying, God, please heal me so I can continue to delight to worship you. And the other interesting thing here that you, you're probably seeing, right, that this side of the cross where we live, you're likely thinking, but eternal souls, with eternal souls, we can worship God even in death. He can continue to worship God, and you're right, you are. But remember, just like the doctrine of the Trinity, it's in the Old Testament, but, but we don't see it really fully revealed, really, you know, fully understood until the New Testament uh, right? This idea of, of eternal life is the same way. They have some idea, but you see it in the Old Testament, but they don't understand the details like we understand after Christ reveals so much more later on. Uh, and so at this point, the Old Testament saints, they, they only know that when someone dies, all they know is they don't hear them worshiping anymore. They don't get to hear their words, or that, that's all they know at this point. And, and that's what David's understanding. I, I won't be able to continue to do so. So then let me ask you, how do you think of your own sin? And, and I, I guess let me give you a better context. Are, are you merely concerned with the immediate consequences? Like sin causes me trouble in life. So I, I don't want to sin because that confuses things. It makes me feel bad. It, you know, uh, what are people think of me when they find out I sin? Or you know, how is this going to affect my future and my plans or my relationships with somebody? Uh, right? Is that it? Or, or does your sin trouble you, your, your heart on a deeper level? Are, are you concerned that it will cloud your relationship with your Heavenly Father until it's confessed and repented of and known to be forgiven in Christ, right? I mean, how do we think through that? Because what we just see with David is it, it does go deep. We, we should be able to lament not just for the suffering that comes from our sin, but by the mere fact that we have sinned against a holy God who has been nothing but gracious to us. Now, let's take a look at verses 6 and 7. One of the great, before we do, one of the great tactics uh, of the devil is, um, someone explained it to me once, it said, uh, it's similar to, to uh, a boxer, and I'm not a boxer, so I might get some of these terminology wrong, but this idea of uh, you do a couple of jabs and then you bring the right hook to really knock someone out is the way it's explained to me. And, and this, this tactic of, of the devil is this, right, that, you know, temptation, temptation, just keep jabbing until you get enough of a, a distraction, a little bit of jarring in that thing, that then you can come around with the right hook and, and that, that, that knockout punch. Now, when, when Satan does that, right, it's the, it's the right hook of just shame and despair. You've given in to temptation, you've sinned, and here comes just this right hook of shame and despair. It's, it's this roundhouse whisper, you can't really be a Christian. You're a hypocrite. You've ruined your life. You, you can't possibly think God loves you now. And we need to defend against that tactic by remembering who God is, by preaching the gospel to ourselves, by doing what we're really seeing David do throughout this psalm. You know, how much of this is about who God is? See, uh, verses 6 and 7, though, bring us to kind of this new place with David. Uh, when, when one of our girls is exhausted and crying and she doesn't know why, 
They used to do this more when they're little, but uh, occasionally now. Anyway, um, Laura would always at some point say to them, girl, you are a hot mess. And that's just like, you're just falling apart at this point. Anyone else use that phrase? Is that a common phrase or is it just my strange wife using it? Your mom uses it? Stucky's mom uses it, so it's probably not normal based on what we know on Stucky. Anyway, (laughs) don't tell your mom on me. Anyway, I mean, David at this point, by his own description of himself in verses in 6 and 7, David's kind of a hot mess. He is broken, but he's doing what we need to do if we find ourselves in this position. He's going to the Lord, and he's pouring out his heart, and he's pleading for mercy and healing. And instead of just running away from God, which unfortunately is sometimes our first response, I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I'm just going to, I have no, you know, we just shame ourselves so badly that we don't do that. And yet that's exactly what he did. And, and here's the shocking thing. Remember, this is King David writing here, okay? King David. This is a mighty, masculine warrior man who's gone out and fought and killed thousands. This is the man who, who took on Goliath even as a boy. Right? That's the kind of man we're talking about. And here he is, so weary and moaning and grief. And he paints this picture of crying so much that he floods his bed and he drenches his, his couch with tears. Listen, if you, if you want a biblical vision for what it means to be a man, yes, there's all kinds of things about strength that are good and right, but you best include this as well. A man driven to tears by his sin and suffering but who is driven to God with that. David is not hiding his weakness at all here. and It's actually the whole basis of his plea, right? James Montgomery Boyce, the late pastor of 10th Pres in Philadelphia, once said this. He said, It is never wrong to ask for mercy on the basis of our weakness. I mean, Psalm 103.14 says, God remembers that we are dust. He's not shocked by our weakness. We see David there, though, just the rawness of, of who he is and the emotions and all that he's going through. And so then let's, let's turn our attention to the last section, verses 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. Uh, remember, everything up to this point is, is David pleading with the Lord. But here, look at it. You can just see the tone changes as, as we see his confidence that God has heard his prayer, accepted his prayer, that he will act against his enemies. And, and, and he addresses those who, who mean to do harm to him, right? He, he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Our Lord Jesus quotes of this in Luke 13, 27. The, the, the situation is, he's, is, is his message himself is, is being rejected by these Jews who who see him as evil, right? And, and, and he says these words to them, right? Depart from me, all you, you workers of, of evil. But here, when, when David's using it, it's a confidence in all that the Lord is for him. You, you see the, the, the repeated phrase, the three times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, there in verses 8 and 9. L- listen to David's confidence in the Lord. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. It doesn't matter what his enemies 
say or do. David's strength in the Lord is being renewed through this process of lament. David has poured out his heart to God. He's preached to his own soul. That's what we're seeing here. He's remembered that that God is gracious and merciful. All through this process of lament, he's remembering that, and there is rest to be found in the Lord who hears our pleas. David is confident that God listens and also forgives. We, right? As we learn in Psalm 51:17, another penitent psalm, he says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's a promise. What we see in David here is what Paul later called godly grief. 2 Corinthians 7:10. Listen to Paul. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. David's grief was godly because it drove him to the Lord, which is the only place he could find rest, the only way he could, place he could find salvation. So then a couple of thoughts here at the end. First, how does David actually know God heard him? Right? There, there's nothing in this that gives us this sense. We don't see it other place that this was some special revelation that he was given, a whisper or a sign or anything like that that confirmed it. The explanation is, is, is really here in the psalm. It's built into Psalm 6. First, did you, did you notice how often God's covenant name is in this passage? Every time we see LORD in all caps, right? That's it. Uh, eight times in this. Eight times in ten verses we see his covenant name, right? The, the point is David's confidence builds as he remembers that God remembers his covenant. As he remembers that God will remain faithful. That's where his confidence begins to be built, right? In the first seven verses, he reflects on who God is, and, and this process of prayer and, and meditation on who God is has restored his spiritual confidence in the Lord. That's one of the beauties of a lament. That's, that's why at the beginning I told you, and I'll tell you again and again and again, that we need to learn how to lament well. Because we do woe is me well, and we do run from God well, and we do ask my friend to, to get on board with whatever's going on and, and do woe is me well, but we don't do lament well, which is going to the Lord with these issues. He, he knows that, that God has heard him because God has revealed in the scriptures that, that he is a God who listens to his people. And you and I can have the same confidence that David has here. In Christ, you belong to God your purchase with the blood of His Son. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are adopted into His family. You are united with Christ. We are God's beloved covenant people. And so pour out your heart and lament, and, and you can be sure that God hears you and that He cares. And so Christian, whether you are, whether your suffering is connected to sin or just the difficult providence of God unrelated to sin, whether it's chronic disease or infertility, whether it's addiction or depression or anxiety, whatever it is you suffer, have you cried out to God with it? How long, O Lord? Deliver me, O Lord. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Have you wept? Have you known that your Lord hears you? 
He does. This doesn't mean change will come immediately like, like a magic genie and on your schedule and in the way that you think best, but God will act as the sovereign God he is on his schedule in the way that he actually knows is best for you and for his glory. Can you trust him with that? You can. To, to lament is to cry out to the Lord in prayer and so it is a means of grace for you. Do not neglect it. Finally, I just want you to realize it, it is quite significant that, that the creator of the universe and all that's in it, including your own body and soul, it, it is significant that he hears the weeping and the pleas and the prayers and the words of his people. In, in C.S. Lewis's book in the Narnia series, The, the Horse and His Boy, uh, there's, of course, a boy uh, and he's named Shasta, and he hears this, this heavy breathing while he is riding along on his horse in the darkness, and he doesn't know what it is. Um, you, the reader, know it's Aslan, right? Uh, but he fearfully speaks into the wilderness, just, who are you? And Aslan, the, the lion, the, the Christ figure, responds, one who has waited long for you to speak. You see, Shasta's life has been filled with great suffering, with Intense grief. And Aslan in the darkness speaks these words of invite to Shasta. He says, after that, he says, tell me your sorrows. Tell me your sorrows. And Shasta does. God also invites us to tell him our suffering, our grief. He bids us to be vulnerable, to come to him with our pain, to tell him our sorrows. He will hear us. He will act in his timing. He will forgive what we confess. He, he will give what we don't possess so that we can endure and find rest in the only place where we can find true rest, in the Lord himself. Let us pray. Gracious Father, it is hard to believe and yet a comfort to know that when we cry out to you in need, in, in pain, in frustration, in anxiety, in hope, praise and in every other way that you hear us you hear the words of we who are your people in Christ make us to know this believe this really really believe this Lord so that our prayer life will be energized and our hope will be renewed we pray this in Christ's name amen